Hello, and welcome to the Lacrosse Matrix podcast, where stats make the story. Please enter the matrix now. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Lacrosse Matrix podcast, where stats make the story. I am your host, as always, each and every time that we record, uh, Adam Levy. It's been a long time, I, I have to admit. I've, I've missed you guys. I've, I've missed talking to you guys, and uh, I hope you've missed hearing what I have to say in the Lacrosse Matrix podcast. Uh, thank you for coming back and, and joining me again for this episode. This is episode number seven of the podcast. We had a week of hiatus because my uh, little baby boy, Preston, was under the weather and don't worry, he's uh, he's back to full strength, and he is a he is a strong boy. I'll tell you that. And uh, we just found out in the doctors that uh, he is in the hundredth percentile in height, and uh, standing in at five seven and three quarters. Myself, uh, my doctor made sure to never say five eight, always five seven and three quarters. What a what a guy he was. But uh, I don't know how Preston got his height. So anyway, enough about Preston. Although I'm sure I'll be talking about him plenty more. Uh, Preston is better and, uh, we are better here and back and, and we're going to be producing more great content for you. So let's get after this week's episode seven of the lacrosse matrix podcast. So for this week's episode, I, I'm going to mention right off the bat that is I'm recording on Friday, April 1st, April fool's day, although not playing any pranks today, but it is before the majority of the week 18 matchups in the national lacrosse league. Uh, but the Buffalo Bandits did play the Philadelphia Wings last night, and the Buffalo Bandits continued to dominate, winning 17-12. to They are now 13-1 and on the season. I have posed the question that I think that we need to start having the conversation is, is this Buffalo Bandits team the best team in the National Lacrosse League that we've ever seen? But that's for another day. Uh, today, though, we are going to do something a little different again, just like Episode 6, uh, as you probably know by now, the National Lacrosse League trade deadline was on March 15th, just a couple of weeks ago. That also happens to be when I released the last episode of the podcast. Uh, so what we're going to do this week is we're going to revisit the trades that went down during the deadline. And now we're going to look at how each of the players have done and each of the teams have done since those trades went down just a couple of weeks ago. So let me just give you a little bit of pre-deadline fan perspective first. Prior to the NLL trade deadline, I had asked you guys on the Lacrosse Matrix podcast poll of the week, which you can always find on my Twitter at Adam Levy Sports. Go give it a follow if you haven't already. Which team with a winning record, and this is excluding the furiously dominant Buffalo Bandits, now 13-1 and as I just mentioned, which team had to be the most active during the deadline, and here are those results. So the Colorado Mammoth took the majority of your guys' vote with 44.9%, followed by the Halifax Thunderbirds at 22.4%. Next was the Toronto Rock at 20.4%, and then the San Diego Seals coming in at 12.4%. So just before we get into what all the trades during the deadline mean for each of these teams, we'll be starting the journey into the Matrix with a rundown of how each of the teams did in the action that they made in the 24 hours specific to the 24 hours leading up to the deadline and what that looked like. We're going to start right away with a super awesome number of the week. We always have a number of the week. This week, the number is six. Funny how our number of the week for episode number six was seven, and now the number of the 
week for episode seven is six. Well, I don't know if you find that funny, but I do. It's it's pretty cool. So it's Levy Nugget time. Let's get your dipping sauces ready. Let's Matrix. First, we have the Philadelphia Wings, who traded Anthony Yoakum and the third-round selection in the 2022 NLL entry draft to the Colorado Mammoth in exchange for Sam LeClaire and their second-round selection in the 2022 entry draft. Next, we've got another Philadelphia Wings deal for you. They traded Brett Hickey to the San Diego Seals in exchange for their second-round selection in the 2024 entry draft. Moving on to the New York Riptide, the Riptide have traded Tyson Gibson to the Colorado Mammoth in exchange for their first round selection in the 2024 entry draft and Tyler Digby and Ron John. The Halifax Thunderbirds have traded Steph LeBlanc and their second round selection in the 2024 entry draft to the Panther City Lacrosse Club in exchange for Dawson Thede. PCLC have also traded LeBlanc then to the Georgia Swarm in exchange for their second round selection in the 2022 NLL entry draft. In total, LeBlanc would have traveled if he had gone from each place to each place uh, just under 3,000 miles. And finally, the Buffalo Bandits in the sixth and last deal that we're going to cover today that happened in the last 24 hours of the National Lacrosse League trade deadline Brent Noseworthy was traded from the Buffalo Bandits with their fourth round selection in the 2022 NLL entry draft to the New York Riptide in exchange for their first round selection in the 2024 entry draft. Now that's a lot of movement, I would say. Quickly, just before jumping into a few more numbers of each of the trades that uh, relate to these guys that I just mentioned, I did throw a curveball for you just after the deadline day, and I asked you a second lacrosse matrix poll of the week. I don't know how he did, but he did it. Well, Jake Elliott, one of the two awesome things that uh, I can do for this podcast is I uh, I make the rules and I run the show here, so I uh, I did it that way. So for that second Lacrosse Matrix podcast poll of the week, which again, you can find on my Twitter at Adam Levy Sports, I asked you guys which the three teams that have a winning record that made a deal within the last 24 hours of the trade deadline, again, excluding the Buffalo Bandits, who, as you just heard, did make a deal themselves, which team did the best for themselves after those moves? The Colorado Mammoth delivered according to you, as you remember, as I just said, uh, most of you thought that they needed to make the most moves and, and make the most action. And that's what they did according to you. And they received 65% of the vote tally followed by the Halifax Thunderbirds and the San Diego Seals who both tied at 17.5%. I'm guessing that's a lot to do with the acquisition of, uh, the former number one overall pick, uh, 2019 NLL draft, number one overall pick Tyson Gibson. So it's no surprise that most of you would think that the Mammoth did the best at the deadline deals. Now, just hopping into the numbers a little bit, Gibson is still trying to find his way in this new offensive system of the Colorado Mammoth. In three games, he has had zero goals and two assists, both of which came on the power play, by the way. But he has also added six loose balls Let's not forget what he's capable of, though. In his rookie season, which was shortened by COVID, Gibson had 16 goals and 26 assists for 42 points in just 12 games. Next, we've got the moving man, Stefan LeBlanc, who 
as I mentioned earlier, if he had actually traveled all the distance for uh, the places that he was traded to, it would have been nearly 3,000 miles in 24 hours on two flights, first from Halifax to Fort Worth, and then from Fort Worth to Duluth, Georgia, to play for the Georgia Swarm. LeBlanc has scored two goals and assisted twice in two games for the Swarm while adding nine loose balls and even one caused turnover. And more importantly, the Swarm have not lost since LeBlanc has joined the team. They are 2-0, and and the team is currently on an LLL best third longest winning streak of four games. Sam LeClaire, who just joined that stacked Philadelphia offense, is going to have to fight for those offensive opportunities uh, after last night, uh, the game against the Buffalo Bandits, where the team lost 17-12, to he did score a goal and record assist, and he's starting to find a rhythm within that offense. If we look into who the Riptide acquired, uh, Tyler Digby going back to the Riptide for a second stint with the team. He has played just one game and recorded one assist and one loose ball in his re-arrival, if that's, I'll, I'll, we'll make up that term, while Ron John in his first game with the Riptide had three assists, scooped up five loose balls, and forced a turnover. I gotta say, as a defenseman, those three assists are very, very, very impressive, especially since he had three assists in just 10 games this season with the Mammoth prior to the trade. Now, of course, while we didn't include the Bandits in our Lacrosse Matrix podcast polls of the week, they did get in on the action in the later moments of the deadline, by grabbing a first-round selection in the next NLL draft. As I mentioned earlier, the Riptide bolstered their defense even more by getting Brent Noseworthy. Since joining the team, Noseworthy is still trying to find his way in that Riptide back end, but he did grab four loose balls in his first game with the club. Dawson Theed has been one of the most impressive players acquired at this year's trade deadline. He has had six goals and one assist in two games for the Thunderbirds, including a breakout four-goal game against the league's best Buffalo Bandits in Buffalo in their last game. In that second game with the club, he also grabbed 11 loose balls. Very impressive stuff from Theed so far. Uh, Another one of those bigger names to be traded around the deadline was Brett Hickey, who joined the West Conference leading San Diego Steels. That team is definitely getting stacked. Hickey has scored in both games with the team and has a total of four points so far. And then, of course, finally, the last trade in terms of the numbers that I'm going to deal with today. We have Anthony Yoakum, who had one goal and one assist and one cause turnover with the Mammoth in his first three games, as well as collecting nine loose balls. So those are the numbers that relate to the men that were traded and the draft picks that were traded, but that doesn't give you a complete perspective of what these guys might be able to do with their new clubs. So for that, I invited our analyst of the week to break down those with me. Ty Merrow is our analyst of the week. He is one of the most creative and knowledgeable leaders currently at the Lacrosse Flash. He also is a great statistical mind. He does some freelance work for the Halifax Thunderbirds as well. He's a great writer, and in my opinion, he's also great at breaking down National Lacrosse League drafts and National Lacrosse League trade deadlines. So that's why we brought him here uh, to have this great conversation that you are about to listen to about each of the trades that went down. So enjoy the conversation, everybody. There were six deals that went down within the last 24 hours before the uh, NLL trade deadline this past Tuesday. Were there any surprises with uh, how much movement happened, uh, particularly the three deals that came in just under the wire in those final moments? Yeah, I'd like to say there was uh, some just sort of surprise at the amount of movement. Not necessarily like we didn't really get like a huge blockbuster deal, you know, not to shortchange the uh, Mammoth and New York one, which I thought was a big trade. 
but just uh, you, you also got to remember we haven't had an actual proper trade deadline since 2019 right like the 2021 was canceled uh due to the pandemic like literally a week before it was supposed to happen um and then 2019 was the uh the then nighthawks um fire sale and then uh, joey Rez went over to new england there was some other minor stuff there, there really hasn't we've just been separated for a while from an actual true trade deadline so it was a pleasant surprise i'm glad we had as many moves i was really afraid uh, especially like the closer we got to the deadline that it was going to be a really quiet weekend with or quiet tuesday with a lot of people just feeling good with what they had and just that's not that's not fun for our sport it's more fun when we actually get that hype and those uh, deals actually coming through, you know? And so with, uh, I mean, I think you're exactly right. I think that it's obviously more fun for the fans and things like that. Uh, with all the movement, you mentioned the Colorado deal. Uh, was that the one trade that, that stood out to you from the six in the last 24 hours? Or is there another deal that, that you thought was the most impactful? No, I'd say that's the most impactful. A lot of these were relatively simple ones. Like, LeBlanc, both trades he was involved in, just kind of straight up. Um, I don't think those really impact clubs as much. Um, the same thing with like Hickey going to the fields. Like that, that's a rental, but like it's a good thing for the fields, but at the end of the day, it might just end up being a rental. Uh, but yeah, no, like Gibson for Digby, Ron John, and a first, like that's a huge deal. That's a lot of capital that Colorado gave up just to get the former first rounder and hopefully kind of snap them out of this two game losing streak that they're on. And I mean, you also look at, you kind of have to look at them in conjunction with the riptide, like what they also did different and it was worthy, but like they really, really improved their club. And it's not just, they improved their club for now. They improved it for the future. They're going to have Noseworthy and Ron John for a couple more years. Uh, Digby, I think is on the contract for another year. And it's just like, it just, it, it speaks to what the team thinks they can do now, but it also kind of lets me know that what they have, I, they think they're going to be keeping in the future. And that's particularly noteworthy when you consider they have uh, Callum Crawford on their team. And so you had mentioned, uh, you know, you use the term keeping someone for the long term, and you also mentioned the term rental when it comes to Hickey. Could you just quickly explain what you mean by, by a rental for someone who may not uh, understand the intricacies of the NLL. Yeah, so NLL free agency uh, is a little weird. It's based a bit on age as well as service time, where, like, say, Major League Baseball is based on service time. doesn't matter when you get called up. You're going to be a uh, free agent at the end of a certain period of time. There's also restricted free agents with us, but, like, we're more focused on the UFA aspect of it uh hickey is a ufa at the end of the season so if he wants to go somewhere different like let's say san diego season's over and he goes hey i'm really feeling toronto uh he can go sign with toronto right um which it's different from like say a player like ron john so he is a this is his rookie season yeah so like he is riptide have first right to him for a while uh, even when he becomes an RFA, like they're qualifying offers and all this other sort of stuff that kind of muddles it up a little bit. But at the end of the day, they have control for him for a while. So the Seals, essentially, they're getting Hickey at least for the next two months uh, to help them try and improve and win an NLO Cup. If that happens, awesome. If it doesn't, whatever. But if he walks, then they essentially just made that trade and the guy just to have that guy wear purple and yellow for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. 
Right. So it's kind of the the thought process is bring in guys because they feel like now is their chance to win. Uh, and it doesn't matter what happens in the future because they think that their club is just one piece away. Absolutely. And it's like, look at the Swarm. They did the same thing with uh, Stephen LeBlanc, who is also going to be a UFA at the end of the season. But he brings them depth and everything. And they didn't give up as much uh, to get Oh, I think they gave up the same amount as uh, the field did for Hickey. But like he gives them that depth and everything. And if they manage to, you know, get deep into the playoffs with them, that's awesome. If not, same thing out the end of the world, right? You didn't give up too much to have them wear blue and yellow. And then so, yeah, you talked about the Tyson Gibson trade a little bit. Uh, first overall pick, uh, he's the first overall NLL draft pick to be traded since Ben McIntosh in 2014. Uh, how significant is it, particularly uh, for, for Gibson to be traded with his, his skill set, but also if you can give a little bit of context to how important is it or how impactful have you seen first overall draft picks? If you look at the Ben McIntoshes, the Logan Shuss, the Kevin Crowleys, that when they get traded, the impact that they've ended up making on their new club. I, I think for Gibson... When he was with New York uh, in his rookie season, it was him and Tyler Digby, right? And Digby was leading the team in points before he got traded. But Gibson was kind of your de facto number one guy, uh, especially over on that right side. But then you bring in Calvin Crawford and Connor Kiernan, uh, and he all of a sudden goes from – and not only that, you also got Jeff T. Um, all of a sudden, he goes from being the number one guy to number four, number five most nights. So his touches are going to go down. Um, and Gibson's always, from what we've seen, and it's not really two full seasons yet, but he's kind of living in the uh, 10, 11 shooting percentage range right now. So he, there's clearly an improvement that he needs to make with shot selection. But I think going over to Colorado, getting to work with a guy like Ryan Lee, uh, who is an absolutely stunning finisher when he wants to be. And he's also a great facilitator this season. Getting to work with him uh, means that he, automat- in my eyes, automatically becomes that number two righty uh, ahead of Zed Williams. And I think Zed's game, when, when you look at what Colorado had with Tyler Digby and Zed Williams, not that they're the same player, but you kind of expect the same thing from them, right, as far as being really great off-ball guys. Um, I think at this point we're seeing – this is three seasons of Zed being on a 45, 50 point pace. So this is kind of the player he is, but that's great. That means that he gets to do some things for it. Now you have an idea of what you can do for your team. Uh, he can get Ryan Lee. Uh, he can get Tyson Gibson open using, you know, just picks, deals, all that fun jazz. Like what he can do off ball is really going to lead to his teammates having success. And I think that's what makes this great for Gibson personally. Just like that's a couple of years that he gets to play over in Colorado and really just kind of make his imprint on that team the way that he did as a rookie for the Riptide, but just with all the improvements they made, that didn't really get to stick around in year two for him. And then, so when you look at, you know, use the term of making an impact on your team and and how they're fitting in. So if you look at the Wings and the Mammoth, they were both involved in two deals in the last 24 hours. Uh, and if you want to talk about the Thunderbirds, the, the Sean Evans trade that happened last week, uh, they did two deals in that last week of the deadline. So when you look at those uh, those moves and, and the amount of action that they did, uh, do you think that that was uh, important and necessary for those teams to be so active around the deadline? And which team do you think benefits most in the long run? The Thunderbirds one is different just because of the fact that Stephen Teo went on the COVID protocol list ahead of their doubleheader weekend. 
So Sean Evans was brought in to help them hopefully avoid a two-game skid, slipping down in the standings. It unfortunately didn't work out as well, but at the same time, that was an awful travel doubleheader week and going from Halifax to Georgia uh, in under 24 hours. Um, the Thinking about it, I, I understand what the Wings are doing. The Wings deal is also different. Like, yeah, you get Sam LeClaire for a little bit of time. This is another young, controllable guy uh, that you're hopefully going to have on your team. And he does shake off that offense a little bit. You move away from your big body. You get The Wings had a lot of big body perimeter shooters. They could work their way inside, uh, but they kind of like to live in that mid-range area, right? So Sam Clare is really good at getting inside when he needs to and finishing. And he's just, he's a smaller, more uh, faster guy and just kind of mixes up what that offense can do. So like he, they, it was a little bit addition by subtraction by getting rid of something that they had plenty of in Brett Hickey on that team. Um, and then bringing in something new to hopefully kind of spark this offense and get it to produce in the way that we think it can. Um, Colorado, I, I think Colorado was so active just because of the fact that they're just second in the uh, West standings. And that's not a bad thing, but like they're on a two game losing streak. Um, and it's not like they're not being affected. I mean, they put up 14 goals in a loss and typically for the Mammoth, 14 goals is going to get them to win. It just didn't when they last weekend because Kansas uh, city put up 20 on them. So I, I think a lot of what they were doing was just kind of to bolster what they had. Jokum is a big body defenseman. I thought he was one of the wings better defenders uh, this season, which was a little surprising that he also got traded, especially when you consider the fact that he is a transition threat. Uh, he has that potential, and the wings don't run very well. So, like, you kind of gave that. That that part was a little confusing to me. Um, but I do think that it helped Colorado. They get a little bit bigger on that back end. Uh, maybe just shore up, just boost that defense a little bit. And then offensively, they get someone, again, that they're going to have for a while that can really put his imprint on this team and not, not necessarily say, like, hey, this is my team, but come in there and really contribute and really, like, Digby, from a points perspective, Digby was not delivering the way that the Mammoth needed him to, which I don't necessarily think was what was required of him. I think at this stage – him being a really big off-ball guy and then, like, get to the crease and use his quick step, fit, cash in. That's kind of where he's at. Um, but this just gives him something that bolsters it and hopefully results in more production for that mammoth offense. So that that's why I think they're more active, just kind of try and keep their places where they're at in the uh, West and not flip any further. And so it sounds like, you know, from from our conversation so far that there's been teams that are obviously making moves for the future and there's teams that are making moves for the present. So now that the deadline has passed, which of the teams that were involved in any of the deals would you expect is going to have the most wins down the stretch? It kind of sounds like uh, at least the Seals with Hickey and uh, and the uh, the Thunderbirds with Sean Evans are hoping that they're going to be the two teams because those are the moves that were made for now. Yeah, I, I think the Seals are going to get the most wins, but I don't, well, and the Bandits, technically, but their trade really didn't do much to improve their club now. That was more for the future. Um, I, I definitely think it's the Seals, but I think it's in spite of Hickey. Uh, not not to be impolite, I just, I think the team has such great systems uh, set in place, both offensively and defensively. Um, that you can kind of plug guys in and they're going to find success. Now, that's not 100% true. Like, 
Mac O'Keefe, uh, Trey LeClaire have kind of cooled off a little bit. And then they've had some injury concerns, most notably, uh, most, uh, notably Austin Stotts. So bringing in Hickey just does give them a different type of player and everything as far as like a big body guy that has a penchant for scoring goals. Um, but I, I don't, it, it's one of those, like it's, it's an incremental improvement to help the team. Um, uh, and I think they would have gotten plenty of wins with or without him in the lineup. That's just how good this field team has been this season. Um, uh, yeah, that's probably the easiest answer. Honestly, yep. I think Colorado's got, I think Colorado's going to get some wins. I think New York improved a lot. Um, I just, at the same time, they're, they, they got a tough uphill battle. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. It's at that, that Eastern division. I mean, really, really the, the whole NLL is looking so competitive and I know every, every player, every coach, anyone who covers the league will say that about any team, any year, you know, it, it just depends who, who can play a full 60 minutes and step up to the occasion. But if you look at where we are at this point of the season, every single team, including, uh, the expansion Panther city have three wins. So it looks like really (laughs) any, any team, it can really win this season. So enough about the deadline for now. Uh, you know, you do a lot of work, obviously, very focused on on the deadline. You do a lot of work with the drafts. You do a lot of other analysis. And and one of the things that we talk about on the podcast is that you you work a lot with statistics. You're one of the great minds, in my opinion, when it comes to stats around the NLL and advanced metrics. You and and Cooper Perkins are definitely up there, in my opinion. Uh, so tell me about some of the statistical projects that you've been working on over the season. I know you're doing a lot of stat tracking. You've you've been tracking some other stats and 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 stuff like that. Yeah, uh, a big part of the project that I am doing is uh, collecting all the data that the NLL has and making it easier to see team totals in regards to uh, how many goals they're scoring, shots, face-offs, stuff like that. That, for some reason, is something that has been very difficult to ascertain, especially at the beginning of the season from the NLL website. So I kind of just wanted to get that up there um, as a tool for everybody to use. The other big part of it though is i watch every game uh particularly every goal and try and describe what kind of goal it is whether it was scored uh five on five settled or if it was an unsettled broken play where like six guys are in the corner chasing a loose ball the offensive team gets it up passes it to a guy that cuts and scores if it's in transition power play the uh, penalty shot like i wanted us to start contextualizing that stuff um, just so that way we can start saying, hey, this team is really good at stopping even strength. Thank you so much, Ty, for that prolonged conversation. It's a little something different for this podcast, but I think that the trade deadline and unique situations like that merit a longer sit down. So that is a lot to unpack there, and I think you did very well. And uh, I know that this week's episode was a little different for everybody, but if you're interested in hearing more about what we do inside the Matrix, feel free to head over to Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or Spotify to check out the first six episodes of this season. <laughs> Those are 
are the absolute warning signs that we need to get out of the matrix in a hurry. This has been the longest episode that we've had, and I always try and keep it under 30 minutes for you guys, so you guys aren't too overwhelmed with everything that we're talking about. Stats and numbers can be very overwhelming, so we do try and keep it in that 30-minute limit. So thank you to Time Arrow again for joining me this week and to all the GMs who made the trades within the last 24 hours. I know I didn't touch on the big Sean Evans deal that went down between the Rochester Night Talks and the Halifax Thunderbirds the Friday before the deadline, but fear not, I do have an article on that deal from the Nighthawks perspectives, it's going live on LNL.com next week, so please go check that out. I also have a piece that's currently out on the wings, Paul Day reaching 100 wins. Uh, it was so great to speak to Paul Day and so many of the players and who are now coaches with the National Lacrosse League that have played for him. Uh, writing is also so much of a passion of mine, so definitely check out what I'm doing always on NLL.com. There's so many great writers for the website Uh, that are also doing some really great work. And I know they would love more eyeballs on their stories too, because they really do some some excellent work. Uh, Because we're trying to shine light on some of these amazing players and athletes that you guys love so much. So thank you again for tuning in. And as always, remember to think about what stats make your life great. As always, I'm Adam Levy. Have a great one, everyone. Games are going to be good this weekend.